to know each other as well. Uh, But in just a moment, we're going to turn to God's word, but let's uh, pray together and ask for his help as we do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray now that you would speak to us. Lord, we pray for us here in the main body of the building here, but we pray also for the children now as they go and gather around and hear from your word too. Lord, please would you show each and every one of us, young and old, more of the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. And please would you be drawing us nearer to him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, do uh, open back up to uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're continuing on with our summer series through this book. Uh, and if you were with us uh, last week, uh, as we looked at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, we saw what Steve uh, described as the most concentrated vision of the glories and majesty of Christ. And the point was this, wasn't it? As we looked at this, that we all need to have a greater and bigger vision of Christ, his supremacy over all things. And in seeing that, we need to know that in him is our only security in our fallen world. And the passage ended with Paul, then seeming to urge the Colossian Christians to, there in verse 23, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Well, with all of that ringing in the ears of the Colossians, in today's passage, the next section that we're looking at, Paul, I think, is in many ways just seeking to do exactly the same thing. He is seeking to urge the Colossians and those in the surrounding area to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. But in this section, he goes about it in quite a different way. Where last week we saw this grand, majestic picture of Christ, here, suddenly, Paul turns very personal. In fact, maybe you noticed it as we were reading it through, this is one of the most personal passages of Paul in the New Testament, as he talks about his work, his message, and his purpose in all that he's doing. And it's as if Paul is saying to the Colossians, do you know what? Yes, I don't know you, I've never met you personally, but don't think that because of that, I'm sending you this letter that you've got in front of you as some sort of casual, interested, vaguely in what you're doing observer, just offering a few handy hints and tips. No, as, he, as we'll see, he says to them, I am fully invested in you fledgling Christians in a church I've never met. I really care about you, to the extent I'll even suffer for you. And so please, knowing that, listen to me. Know that in Christ you have all that you need. So press on with him. Hold fast to him. And so as we hear his personal message uh, from the ch- to the church in Colossae, today we also can hear this for ourselves. Yes, we aren't named as Great Victoria Street Baptist Church or as Christians in Belfast and the surrounding area, but in many ways we are just like the Colossian Church. We haven't met Paul face to face. We don't know him personally. 
And we're mostly, like the Colossians, also Gentile believers who today enjoy all of the blessings of being a part of God's family. So as we hear these words this morning, we can hear them as coming direct to us. And we can be ready then to soak them in and apply them and be warned and taught and encouraged by them. Now, it's worth saying at this point, we're not going to work through this passage uh, completely from start to finish as we might do normally. And that's because as I was looking at it, I think this passage splits into two sections quite neatly. We've got verses 24 to 29 of chapter 1, and then verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2. And in them both, we see the same repeated pattern. We see, first, the same focus on Paul's work. Then, second, this focus on his message... And then thirdly, his purpose in what he's doing. So as we look at that together, we're going to draw those things and hopefully helpfully combine those and see the fullness of what Paul wants us to see uh, this morning. So let's uh, start then with Paul's work and see that he wants to make it clear that his own personal suffering and labor is for both the Colossians and for Christ. Look at how Paul opens uh, there in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, I guess the Colossians could have been forgiven and thinking, well, hang on, Paul. How's that the case? You're rejoicing in your sufferings for us? You've never even met us. And it's like Paul hears this and then says, yes, you're right, but let me explain. And as he goes on then in verse 24 and 25, he writes, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Now these verses, particularly the rest of verse 24, uh, uh, can be a little bit tricky. But I think what Paul is really trying to say here is this. Do you know what, Colossian Christians? As I currently suffer for the gospel, he's in prison as he writes this, I am actually doing that for your sake and for the sake of the wider church. See, first, Paul understands from Jesus' teaching, like in Mark chapter 13, and also from teaching that we find in the Old Testament, like in Daniel chapter 12, he understands that there is a predetermined period of trials and suffering that Christians will have to undergo here on earth before Christ then returns. And therefore, as Paul suffers under those kind of trials and tribulations, first of all, he is filling up those afflictions. To put it in a glib way, as he, as he suffers, he, he crosses off afflictions. He, he ticks them off. That's done. That one's done. And as he does that, he draws us closer and closer to that final day when Christ will return in glory. But not only that, perhaps also in his mind, Paul has this idea that he is filling up these afflictions himself so that others don't have to, like the Christians in Colossae that he's writing to. If there must be testing suffering times, says Paul, I rejoice that I can be a part of those, playing my part in God's great eternal plan and also in some way easing other people's tribulations and sufferings. Now, there's more that can be said here, but I think the other thing that stands out in this verse that we have to deal with now 
is this reference to these afflictions being Christ's afflictions. He's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, he writes. Now, hopefully, in some ways, uh, I hope some of us are sitting here thinking, how can that be the case? There's something lacking in Christ's afflictions? Surely there can't be. And I think if you're thinking that, you're right. Uh, Christ's life, his death and resurrection is all that we need here this morning. It isn't as if Paul is saying, well, uh, well, do you know what? I'm just going to add this final thing in to make Christ's work completely effective. Remember, we heard last week in verse 22, Paul says that Christ has now reconciled the Colossian Christians in his body of flesh by his death in order to present them holy and blameless. This is a done deal. Christ's work has been completed. It is completely effective in saving his people. So what is Paul saying here? I think this filling up of what is lacking in Christ's afflictions is referring to this same period that we were just talking about, that predetermined period of tribulation that God's people will have to undergo before Christ then returns again. But because of Christ's union with his people, the sufferings of Christians can just be as clearly associated as with Christ himself. Do you remember what Jesus said to Paul himself when he was on, Acts in, uh, in, on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. Paul was persecuting the early church. And here's what Jesus said to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Because that is what you are doing as you persecute my people, those who I am united to. And in this way, as Paul now suffers, like he caused others to suffer before the Lord opened his eyes, he is filling up Christ's afflictions. He is helping fill up up that predetermined measure of suffering of Christ through his people. And as he does that, he is suffering for Christ. And as he suffers united to him, he says he is suffering for these Colossian Christians, potentially reducing the afflictions that they themselves will have to undergo. But then there's also a second thing in view here of how Paul shows his work, his suffering and labor to be for the Colossians and for Christ. And this is uh, what we see in the rest of verse 24 and 25 as well. See, Paul says there, he undergoes these sufferings for the sake of Christ's body, his church. And he does that as part of God's plan for his life. Verse 25 makes that clear as he he comes and he, he does what God has called him to. Uh, Paul himself, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 11, calls himself an apostle to the Gentiles. And as such, even if he himself was not the person who brought the gospel to the Colossians, his suffering, some of which would have been tied closely to bringing the gospel to Gentiles and not causing a block for them to receive Christ, well, actually, that is for the Colossians. Paul is saying, listen, I care about you as Gentile believers people called to Christ, who are professing his name. You are exactly the people for whom I have suffered so willingly throughout all of my life. In fact, Paul says, as I hear about your faith in Christ, I rejoice in my sufferings. They are so worth it if they are not only fulfilling God's plan for my life, but they've also contributed to your salvation, to you coming to know the Lord Jesus. 
Paul, again, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, picks up on his struggle, doesn't he, for, for the church in Colossae. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And again, the message is clear. I don't know you personally, but I care about you. I care about you so much, so much that I will press on through hard work, through difficult circumstances, through suffering, and I will press on for your sake. If it will encourage you, build you up, and help you hold fast to Christ. Now, as we see Paul's work here, his suffering and labor for the Colossians and for Christ, I guess the question is, how should we respond to seeing that? There are a number of things we could say here. Here here are just a couple things. First of all, just as the Colossians would surely have been challenged in hearing Paul's willingness to suffer and his rejoicing in that suffering, there's a challenge there for us here this morning too, to do likewise, to rejoice in our suffering. As we undergo suffering here on earth as Christians, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. The Bible makes it clear that is to be expected But as we suffer here in Christ, we are also in some way filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. As just like Paul, we press on and we draw nearer and nearer to the end of those times of suffering, when Christ will come in his glory and make all things right. And as we suffer, we can remember and rejoice that we don't do that alone. We do that as someone united to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In some ways, suffering for Christ reminds us of just how worthy he is of suffering, right? We're reminded of his suffering for us, and we're reminded of how precious he is and valuable he is. He is so worth suffering for. Similar to what we read here in, uh, from Paul, we read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, this call to rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. And we see the example of the disciples too in Acts chapter 5 verse 41. They've just been beaten for Christ and what do we read? They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. As we suffer for Christ as Christians, we are reminded that he suffered for us And we can rejoice in that, and we can know that in our suffering, he goes with us every step of the way. And as his people, we can rejoice in that too. Secondly, though, I think this is the weight of this this first mess, this first point here of Paul's work. We need to hear Paul's passion, his willingness to undergo this kind of suffering, and the extent of his struggle for these Colossian Christians and we need to hear that and make that list, cause us to listen, to listen to what he is saying to us. As we said at the beginning, this is no disinterested observer making a few casual comments. This is someone who is desperate to help and serve the Colossians. And therefore, by extension, he is desperate this morning to help and serve you. We can take this book today the same way the Colossian Christians most likely took it, as someone coming who is wanting the best for them, who is pouring out his heart and life for them, who is going to leave it all out on the fields, literally here maybe the battlefields. And he's going to do that because he wants us to be encouraged and helped in our faith. So this is what the work of Paul held, suffering and labor for the Colossians and for Christ. 
what's his message then as he brings, that he brings to the Colossians? Well, again, it's a personal one. It's a message of Christ himself in the Colossians, the hope of glory. Read with me the last phrase of verse 25 and then verses 26 and 27 as we see this. This is what God has called Paul to do, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's commission is to take God's word out, that it would be fully known to the ends of the earth in particular for Paul amongst the Gentiles. And in an indirect way, through his ministry, this is exactly what he has done for the Colossians through that of his fellow worker, Epaphras. But what is this word that he is bringing? Well, it's something, as verse 26 says, that was once a mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but it has now been revealed. Verse 27, a mystery that is so great that even the Gentiles... Those who were not God's people, well, they're now included and can be a part of God's people, and they can see the riches and glory of God's plan. And what is that plan? What is that mystery? Verse 27, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, perhaps uh, this message, I guess, as it's first thought about by the Colossians, they could have thought, well, this is a bit underwhelming, Paul. We've got this letter We've got this letter, and it's from Paul, and we're really excited. What is this? And now he's going to tell us about a mystery. And, and what's the mystery going to be? Christ. Well, yeah, we've heard that, Paul. That was who Epaphras kept talking about. That was, that was who we are believing in today. Yes, this isn't new. Christ is the one that we're already trusting in. And I think this is Paul's point here as we'll see later on as well. He's saying the Christ that you have received and accepted and are now trusting in, he is glorious. He is the ultimate fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. He is who it was leading to. He is who we we see something, don't we, revealed of God's mystery in the Old Testament, of how he would redeem his people. But that mystery is now revealed in Christ. Now, in Christ, we see the full riches of the glory of this mystery. And incredibly, as Paul makes clear through his choice of words here, that mystery now finds a personal home in the lives of these Colossian believers. And in our lives today too, this mystery of Christ, this mystery is Christ in you. Christ in you. Imagine that. Not only has Christ made a way for you, for you, along with all peoples who trust in him, to come to the Lord Jesus, to come to the Father, but according to his plan, he now dwells in every single believer. Isn't that incredible to think about this morning? The one who made the universe, the one who all of history was pointing to, dwells in us. Today, we as Christians have Christ. 
and in him we have the hope of glory. Paul wants to make sure the Colossians and we today do not miss the magnificence of this. I think that's why he piles up that high language. Did you hear it in verse 27? How great are the riches of the glory of this mystery. It's easy to forget, isn't it? I guess this is why Paul is writing like this to the Colossian church. They may be a young church, but even still, I guess it's possible that some of the awe and wonder at being enfolded into God's plan and of God dwelling now in them could have been lost. It's begun to wear off, perhaps. And it's at that point that they, and we ourselves, we know this, don't we, that we begin to maybe ask the questions, well, is there something else? Is there something else that we're missing here? And as we'll see in verse 4 of chapter 2, Paul is going to explicitly warn of people who will try and take us away, who will try to delude us with plausible arguments. And it, and it may well have been the case that people would be saying things like this, yes, you know Christ, and, and that's great, but you know what? There's even more beyond him. There's actually higher knowledge to be sought after or special spiritual experiences to be, to be enjoyed and lived by. Paul says that just isn't the case. Christ is this great mystery of God made known. And if you'll jump with me then onto verses 2 to 3 of chapter 2 as well, there he makes this even clearer as he speaks even more personally and specifically to the Colossians. Look at what he says there in those verses. He is struggling for the Colossians that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, in order to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and then also the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden, are kept, are stored, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We aren't sure exactly what the false teachers would have been teaching, but whatever it was, it must have been adding something whether it be higher knowledge or the special experience of some kind, it must have been adding something to Christ. But see there in verse 3, that incredible summary of all that is in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you know what? He is, if you are trusting in, you, in, in him, the one in you right now. You do not need to go anywhere else than Christ, Christ in you. For any kind of upgrade, any kind of improvement, he is all you need. Here's what one commentator says. Paul is making it clear that Christ and Christ alone is the source of every conceivable bit of spiritual knowledge worth having. Don't go anywhere else other than Christ. As verse 2 said, Paul's struggle is that the Colossians might reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And that understanding then is linked to knowledge of Christ. So Paul is trying to help the Colossians and us today to see that there is full assurance found in Christ, found in knowing him. And that full assurance is found in him alone. We do not need to look anywhere else for that assurance. And we see this assurance found in knowing Christ, tied up in the phrase that we saw earlier too. Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. See, there's a present reality as Christians of salvation in the here and now, as we enjoy all the benefits of the Lord, Christ, Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in us, as he, according to the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, leads us, guides us, comforts us, corrects us. But there's also in Christ an assurance of future glory, a future glory far beyond anything else that anywhere else could offer. Perhaps the false teachers wanted to say, yes, you have Christ, but, but maybe you just need this little bit extra to be sure of your future salvation, of future glory. Paul says, no. It is Christ in you. He is the hope of glory for each and every one of you. Just as united with him, you have been justified, so also united to him, you have a glorious future. Listen to how Paul puts it just a few verses later in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. He writes this, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ's resurrection guarantees that fact, doesn't it? Defeating death once and for all. No more assurance of future glory is needed or can be given than a knowledge of Christ and of Christ in us. This is Paul's message, a personal one to the Colossians and a personal one to us today. Christ is in you and he is the hope of glory and in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as we hear this message uh, from Paul this morning, Here are two things for us to consider. First of all, simply, do you, like the Colossians, have the same hope that they did? Is Christ in you the hope of glory? As we read in verse 28, it is this Christ that Paul proclaims, knowing that he is the best news that we'll ever hear. This is God's mystery now made known. There is salvation, there is forgiveness, and there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, if he hasn't already, he can take up home in your heart and your life. Jesus didn't just just come for the Jews. He came for all people. He came for all nations, for all races, for people like you and me. And apart from him, there is no hope of glory. We will die in our sin, and that sin will cut us off from the Lord, from dwelling with him in his glory forever. But that just doesn't have to be the case. As we read earlier, Jesus says to all of us this morning, come to me and I will give you rest. Rest now, but also eternal rest to come. As if we're in Christ, we will be raised with him to be with him forever. Is this Christ in you the hope of glory this morning? If not, why not? There's nothing magical that you need to do to be united to this glorious Christ. Simply come to him. Ask him for forgiveness of your sins and then set down your roots in him. Live your life 
before him and get to know him better and get to know the glorious assurance and everlasting peace that are found in him alone. And secondly then, for those of us who would say, well, yes, Christ is in me the hope of glory. Two things for us to think about. First of all this morning, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for this incredible reminder of what we have in Christ. He, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, he dwells in us. And through him and in him we have all that we need and we have a certain hope of glory. Praise God that he has made the mystery of Christ known to all peoples, including to us this morning. It is the best news ever. But then also, hear this, Paul here seems to be saying that he wants us to know more of this Christ and more of all the treasures that he brings with him. So I guess that the other question then is, are you seeking to do that more and more every single day? To get to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you just kind of content this morning with knowing Christ in a bit more of a superficial level? Just think of that image of a treasure chest, right? If you are in Christ, you have that treasure chest available to you. But unless you actually open it and look carefully in it, you're going to miss the splendor and magnificence of the individual gems, the golden coins, the silver rings, the sparkling jewels that are there. If you're a Christian here this morning, make it your aim every single day to know Christ better. Because as you do that, you will open this treasure chest and you will find gems and coins and jewels. You will find priceless truths about the Lord Jesus Christ that will encourage you, that will sustain you, that will comfort you, that will change you even to be more like him. How can we do that? Well, first and foremost, by reading about him and meditating on him through the word. As we see all of the Bible, all of it is pointing to Christ. And then also come to him each day in prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I know there are infinite treasures in you. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Help me to know these treasures more and more every single day. There's two applications, I think, of what Paul has said up to this point. But this, I think, is the fullest and final application because it's where Paul heads to now as we turn to our final point. And this is Paul's purpose in all that he's been writing. This is why Paul writes as he does in this section because he wants to urge the Colossians and us to hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to him alone right to the end. See what he writes in verse 28. Him, that is Christ, Christ we proclaim. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And that verse is tied, I don't think, if you look, jump with me to verse 4 of chapter 2, where Paul again explains why he's saying all that he's saying. He writes, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul's chief concern for the Colossians and for us today is that seeing who Christ is 
we will hold fast to him alone. Verse 4 implies, doesn't it, that there are some others in the region who are trying to derail these Colossian Christians, maybe by some high-flown rhetoric, special words, special arguments, whatever it might be. They're trying to lead people away from Christ. But Paul says, this is why I'm writing to you. This is why I'm suffering for you, so that you will not be fooled by these kind of teachers but instead will continue to show a firmness of faith in Christ, which is what he praises the Colossians for there in in chapter 2, verse 5. Running along with those purpose, then look back at verse 28 that we've just seen, and notice with me again what is striking in these verses, in this verse, the repeated everyone's. Paul is warning everyone, teaching everyone, all so that he may present everyone mature in Christ. This is Paul's universal purpose as he does his work and as he proclaims his message. He wants it to be true that everyone who he comes across and everyone who he has the opportunity to speak with, to teach, to proclaim Christ to, he wants it to be true that everyone who he comes across would be presented as mature, complete, perfect in Christ on his return on that final day. Notice here the beautiful pastoral heart of Paul. See, we often think of Paul, don't we, as the ultimate evangelist, right? Paul, the one who went and took the, took the gospel to the Gentiles. He proclaimed Christ so that they would believe in him and put their hope in him. But that isn't enough for Paul. Paul's aim is even bigger than that. His aim and purpose is that those same people who profess Christ would continue to do that right the way to the end of their lives. I remember uh, coming out of university, and as I was thinking about going into some kind of Christian work of some kind, I sat down and had a chat with a Christian minister over in Cambridge. And something he said really struck with me, struck me, and has stayed with me ever since. He said, Do you know, Simon, what would be my greatest joy? That on that final day, in the presence of our God, I would see every single person there who I had the opportunity to preach to, to teach, and to care for in my church. It really stuck with me, that. And now, as I am beginning that same kind of work, I totally get what he is saying. It would be such a joy for me on that final day, to see every single one of you sat there, here in Great Vic this morning, there. To see you there, presented completely blameless, mature in Christ. That is Paul's purpose in what he's saying here. He's saying, why would you go anywhere else? Look anywhere else. You can, on that final day, have that glorious hope of Christ in you. And Christ will present you gloriously perfect. Christ is God's mystery made known. And in him are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Along with, me, along with Paul, let me say to you this morning, let me urge you and plead with you this morning, hold fast to Christ. Don't let anyone ever pull you away from him. Put your faith in him. 
People will try to pull you away. The, the world has many temptations, and they seem attractive, but nowhere else will you ever find forgiveness for all your past failings. Nowhere else will you ever find present peace and treasures that he, by his Spirit, offers to you. And nowhere else will you ever find the glorious future hope that he holds for you. A hope that he guarantees for you. As verse 5 of chapter 2 says, Paul may be absent from these Colossians in body, but as one united to them in Christ by the Holy Spirit, he longs and pleads for them to continue on in their faith right to the very end. So much so that as verse 29 of chapter 1 said, he toils and struggles with all his energy to this end. But notice that even as he does that, even as he works to present these Christians mature in Christ, he does that in Christ's strength. Because for Paul, it is all about Christ. Let's take Paul's words to heart this morning. Let's make knowing Christ more and more what all of us are about. All of us individually and all of us together here at Great Vic. And let's never, ever move on from Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Christ. Lord, thank you that he dwells in us. Lord, that isn't a glorious, glorious thing to think about. That he, the one through whom all things were made, dwells in us by the Holy Spirit today. Lord, please would he speak to us and comfort us and help us help us today. Please would we rejoice in that truth and please would we also rejoice in the hope of glory that comes with him. And Lord, please would you hold us fast to him. Lord, please would you help us every single day to look to Christ and Christ alone for our hope, for our strength, for our joy. Lord, please, on that final day, would, you, would it be uh, to your glory that you would present every single one of us here this morning blameless, perfect in Christ, that we would dwell with him forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we uh, respond to God's word and then prepare in just a moment to come around the Lord's table together, we're going to sing again now. and We're going to sing uh, the first two verses of, uh, fittingly, in Christ alone. So let's stand and sing as the musicians begin to play.
Do take a seat again now.